This morning, we are going to look at Luke 15 and ask the Lord to speak to us as we consider this chapter and read it in its entirety. So let me start to read in Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. By the way, for a child, a son, to ask the father for his inheritance, his share of the inheritance, before the father had passed away, was essentially saying, I don't want to wait, and I don't really care what's happening to you. I want my share, and I want it now, and I'm going to do what I want with it. So it was a very, it was a very disrespectful, very hurtful statement that he's making here. We don't realize this, but when you understand the context and the culture, this would have been a very insulting statement to the father. Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. The father did. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. 
and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the older brother, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You know, in uh, most of your Bibles, these three parables probably have a title above it that says, The Lost the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Or in many other uh, versions, it'll say the prodigal son. And prodigal just means wasteful or excessive and you know, very reckless. And so when it talks about the, the son going off and spending the father's uh, share or what he had received from the father recklessly, he's being prodigal. He's doing this. But you know, the titles typically will say the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. But you know, we, when we read those titles, we tend to think of that aspect, the lost part of it. But you know, every single one of these stories that Jesus told, the main point was that there was a finding, there was a found result, that the, the sheep was found, the coin was found, and the son was found. Praise God that Jesus' emphasis is not on wandering hearts, carelessness, immoral, spendthrift, or selfish sin. His emphasis is on the compassionate heart of the shepherd that goes looking for that lost sheep. His emphasis is on the diligence of the woman who sweeps the whole house to find that lost coin. And his emphasis is on the patience of this father who with compassion and patience waits until what is lost is found. Jesus' emphasis is on the unconditional love, the ultimate sacrifice, and the persistent pursuit of God for his lost children. Thank God for his mercy and his grace. We don't remain lost. The whole point of these stories is that you can be found. We don't remain in our lost condition. 
And so when we look at that, when we understand that, when we see that this is what the Lord is speaking about, this is what he's emphasizing, this is what he wants us to get out of these stories, right? We understand that he is calling us. He is telling us that we are called to diligently search for the lost. In a few weeks, we'll be in Luke chapter 19. And in Luke chapter 19, when Jesus speaks to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus comes to know the Lord Jesus. He repents. He says, I will make restitution. And Jesus speaks of salvation now having come to this man, to this household. And he says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. When Jesus is telling these parables, he's speaking very, very clearly of what he is doing in the world. He has come to seek and to save the lost. And because he is doing that, and because he's the one who empowers us, and because, as we've seen in these past weeks, he gives us of his Holy Spirit so that we may do what he has done, we may continue, we may advance the kingdom of God, that means that we are called to seek the lost. We don't save the lost. We seek them. We bring them to Jesus. We point them to Jesus. He is the agent of salvation. The Holy Spirit is the one that brings the regeneration. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts them. But we have a responsibility to diligently seek for those who are lost. Now, very often what happens is, we evaluate, we consider with the cost of the search and we commit to seeking the lost, to searching for the lost, to reaching out to the lost, to reaching out to the unreached and the unchurched. We commit to doing that only if the risk is fairly low, the risk of rejection or the risk of you know, whatever kind of opposition or whatever it may be. If the risk is fairly low and the benefit is fairly certain, oh, this person, oh, you know, they're, they're, they're eager to hear the word or whatever. So therefore I can go to them. I can say that. And I know that they'll receive. It. So we commit to the search. We commit to seek if we think, okay, the risk is fairly low and the benefit is fairly certain. We're also reluctant to commit our time, our talents, our treasure, if we think we could be rejected or taken advantage of. If I go to this group of people, if I go to this country, if I go in this way, because I know that the Lord seems to be prompting me, well, I could be rejected, I could be attacked, or I could be taken advantage of. I'm going to give them of my own resources and they may just take advantage of it. They may not turn to the Lord. They may not respond to the message that I'm giving them. And we are reluctant to commit, to fully commit to what the Lord is calling us to do because we're counting the cost to ourselves. We're saying, well, I'm not so sure. And then <laughs> when we do commit to a search, when we do commit to seek out the lost, we expect quick timing. We go, we have a conversation, we say, oh, all right, you know, let's, let's, move to the, let's move to the bottom line. Or we have more than one conversation. 
Maybe it's a long-term relationship. Maybe you've been praying for and dealing with this, this person for a long time. And you're sharing with them patiently and so on. But there is this sense in the back of our minds of timing. And we want this to move. And we want it to happen. And we want to see that person come to God. We want to see them leave their wicked ways. And we say, oh, you know, maybe next week, maybe next month, maybe next year. But sometime soon here, I'm expecting for this to take place. And it's not wrong for us to pray in faith for something to happen. But it becomes tricky when we expect a certain timing. And if it doesn't happen in that timing, that we give up on that person. That we stop seeking. We stop searching, that we stop reaching out. We say, ah, I tried. I tried for 10 years. Nothing happened. But you know, the Bible speaks about the fact that one is called to sow. And we talked about how the word of God is as a seed that is sown. And there's all sorts of soil. But as that seed falls on the soil, the Bible says one may be called to sow, another to water and to nurture, and another to reap. It may be that as you are seeking out to that, reaching out to that person who is lost, who does not know the Lord, as you are searching for and ministering and doing these things, you may be just planting that seed. And maybe it'll be years later and somebody completely different than you that's going to have this result that sees this person coming to the Lord, that that is there when the person is actually found. So instead of thinking of timing in our ways, we have to say, all right, God, your timing, your grace. And when we commit to the search, the other thing we also do is we want measurable results. Right? We, want, we want to say, I went and spoke to 10 people, nine of them got saved, or nine of them have received the Lord. Look at that, 90%. Or we want, we want some measurable results. We want to be able to say, I did this and here's the result. And those kinds of expectations, those kinds of thinking in our minds keeps us from truly committing to reaching out to people where they're at, for what they need, and in the way that the Lord is leading us. We try to define what should happen. And then when our expectations are not met, it's very possible that we give up or that we withdraw. And this morning, even as I'm emphasizing this point that we are called to diligently search for the lost, I want to ask you this question. Is there anybody in your life that the Lord really moved on you to reach out to? But it didn't go the way that you expected. And so you have given up on them as a lost cause. You've said, I don't, I don't think this is going to work. Maybe somebody else. I know I have people in my life like that. I've said, ah, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can be heard. I don't think they'll receive it. Maybe somebody else. But as far as I'm concerned, maybe it's a lost cause. But you know, thank God that the God that we're talking about is not the God of the lost. He's the God of the found. And so we come back to him and we say, oh God, refresh in me, renew in me, 
this call to diligently search for the lost. Now, when the sheep is found, when the coin is found, when the child returns, when the son returns, it turns out that in, in these parables that Jesus is speaking about, he describes a rather significant celebration. And, you know, you look at the details of the celebration, you think this seems disproportionate to the specific circumstances. I mean, sheep must have been wandering off all the time. But this shepherd seems to come back with this one lost sheep that is found and call friends and neighbors and then throw a party for a lost sheep. And the lady who lost the coin, I mean, nobody knew, nobody seems, at least it doesn't seem like, you know, it was published abroad that she had lost this coin. But when she finds it, she pulls everybody together and she's saying, come and celebrate with me. And this father that celebrates in this extravagant way, in fact, you could say he's the prodigal father. He seems to be reckless and just, you know, giving in, in an excessive way a party and a celebration for a son that seems to not be deserving it. So when you look at that and you consider all these things, it's very clear that Jesus is not speaking about sheep or inanimate objects or even a specific wayward child. What Jesus is telling us is that God cares very deeply, very deeply for every single person in the world that could be lost and needs to be found. And that's why the, what the verses that we read, it speaks of the sincere joy in heaven over each individual salvation. Rejoicing, the heavens rejoice and the angels are glad and they're celebrating. Jesus is speaking of these excessive celebrations to say, you know what? It's even greater celebration in heaven when even just one person is found comes to know me, is redeemed. So the celebration that Jesus is speaking about is that there is much to be celebrated when the lost is found. It also means that God grieves when someone is lost, when someone does not turn to him, when someone rejects him, when someone will not respond to this message of the gospel. You know, when John 3.16, that familiar verse to us, reminds us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, that's a message for the whole world. But there are people that will reject that. And if you're listening to me today, I encourage you that you would seek out, you would go further, you would dig, and you would find out how this God Almighty, the only one that has created everything, loved you so much that he gave of himself and that he says that he wants to make you his child, to find you. You know, in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, it says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Jesus sought us out while we were still lost. We have a way out of being in that, of, of that, of not remaining in that lost condition. We have a way out. We have a map to show us the way out because Jesus, who is the way, has come and given everything that we need so that we may be found in him, so that we can have life. So we need to celebrate when what is lost is found. Now, let me say this. We will be willing to celebrate with all of heaven and with the person who is saved only if we see that person the way God sees them. This kind of celebration that's taking place in heaven speaks of how God sees that person, what intrinsic value that person has, and what a wonderful, unique purpose that person has to fulfill in God. That's what God celebrates. So if we don't see that, and we don't see value in that other person, no matter what their circumstance, no matter what their race, no matter what their socioeconomic status, no matter what background they've had. And this morning, John reminded us in our call to worship that our God forgives our sins and forgives And no matter what condition that person may come out of, if we don't see value in that person, if we don't appreciate who they are, if we don't see them as the way God sees them, when they are found, maybe we celebrate, but we will not celebrate with all of heaven, with all that is in us, until we truly value that person, until we see what God means for them, until we see how God sees them. Then we will just be so glad. We will rejoice. We will want to throw a party like these parties that we're seeing here. We'll say, well, this is just phenomenal that this person who was dead is now alive. This person who was lost is now found. There'll be such a joy, a sincere joy of God that would well up in our hearts when we see that situation, that reality. We want to value people that are around us. We don't give them up. We don't say they're a lost cause, but we say, oh God, they are precious to you. You gave your life for them. And in just accepting what you have done, in receiving your sacrifice on their behalf, they can be saved. Oh God, let me take that message to them because they are precious in your sight. And I am going to be filled with your mind, your compassion, and your love for them that I will go and seek for them. And when I find them, or when they are found in you, oh, I will celebrate with them. I will celebrate with heaven because we don't seek the lost for our gain. We seek the lost for their gain, for their benefit, for them to be united with the Lord. And then, you know, the last part of this story of the prodigal son, the lost son, presents something quite interesting and quite different. It's not just he's found, they have a celebration. But Jesus adds on this whole section about the older brother. And this message that he speaks about the older brother is not lost on the Pharisees and the scribes who were grumbling or who were looking to find fault with Jesus, who are speaking ill of Jesus. Because, you see, 
in our call, we have to examine our hearts, our motives, and our expectations in light of the heart, the purpose, and the timing of God. The older brother was angry. It doesn't say that he was just like, displeased or that he said oh, okay all right uh, okay I'll, I'll participate but okay he's, it's not a, he's not a reluctant party goer he is angry he is angry with the father and there are two things he's angry with the father because he did not value his younger brother he didn't think his younger brother was deserving he didn't think his younger brother was a good person. He didn't think his younger brother should be celebrated. And his own expectations, the older brother's own expectations were not met. He was fulfilling his duty. He was doing the right thing. He was biding his time with, you know, doing all he would do so that at some point he would receive the inheritance from the father. So he's doing his thing and going through his actions but he was just as selfish as his younger brother. He was a good boy who in his self-righteousness may not have squandered his inheritance on prostitutes, but he was looking to celebrate his goodness in the way that he saw fit. He was resentful that his father had not rewarded him for his goodness. I have done these things. I have been good. I have kept the law and you didn't reward me. That's what the older brother is saying. The older brother's response reveals to us that keeping the law leaves you just as lost as breaking the law. That ultimately, we are found, not because of our works, not because of our goodness, not because of what we have done at the, in the right way. We are found because of God's grace, because of his compassion, because of his love. That while we were yet sinners, he reached out to us. We see that our reward is not what we can enjoy in this earth, but being in eternity with God. The older brother, all that the older brother says, all that the older brother does, and we don't find a resolution in the story of what the older brother finally comes to, but we should take to heart the lesson that is there to understand, how do I look at the people around me? What are my expectations? And am I being not just reaching them or doing something for all the costs and counting things and going that way. But am I going out and being self-righteous? Am I saying, Lord, I have done everything right. I have been good. I have kept your law. And therefore, this is what I deserve. No, we come to the Lord and we say, Jesus, because of what you have done, I can be found in you. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 21. A slightly longer passage, but I want to read this because, and I want you to go back and read this when you have an opportunity. Read the whole chapter, read the whole passage again. 
But Paul is speaking and he says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have to often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We have an opportunity to come to the Lord and to be transformed in him so that we may diligently search for the lost. And that brings us to our response this morning. What should we do? What should we do? We want to reach the unreached. We want to share the love of God with them. We want to know that they have found righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, that they are part of the kingdom of God now, and that we can rejoice with them in the kingdom of God for all eternity. Oh, what a joy it is. What a, what, how, you know, as Paul says, this, this truth, this reality, this, this wonderful grace that the Lord is speaking of here should compel us, should propel us to say, I want to seek out the lost. I want to share this good news with them. You don't have to wait till you are called to be an evangelist. You don't have to say, well, that's that person's capability or gifting. You don't have to say, well, I'm an introvert and, you know, I just, no. If this truth would come, would be rich in us, if this word of God is dwelling richly in us, it will compel us to reach out to the lost and to say, oh, my brother, my sister, I want you to understand that Jesus loves you. 
that he gave his life for you and that he desires for you to be found in him. Not the things of this world, not what you think is important, not anything of the material possessions, but eternity with him. Oh, I want to tell you about Jesus. And so this morning, when we think about how to apply this, I want to remind you that the reason that, the, that Jesus told these parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, was because the Pharisees and the scribes were indignant that he was associating with and receiving sinners. They saw who he was interacting with, tax collectors, sinners, people who were not like them, people who were not as good as they were. And they said, oh, Jesus, how come he's doing this? How come you're associating and receiving sinners? How come you're eating with sinners? And then Jesus goes into these stories, into these parables. So, it says, so, because Jesus knew this is what they're saying and this is what they're thinking, he told them these parables. What's our point of application this morning as we listen to these same stories? Let's go and associate with and receive sinners. Let's do what Jesus did. Let's go out to those that don't seem to deserve it, that don't seem to be good people. When we associate with them, when we reach out to them, we have some principles from the Word of God. This past week, we were praying specifically with regard to how we respond with regard to the riots and all the things that are going on and race relations and all sorts of ways in which we are divided as people of the world. So many divisions, so many things that keep us apart. But the Bible gives us some wonderful principles. And so through this week, we looked at Romans chapter 14 as a whole and, Rome, and then going into Romans chapter 15 verses 1 through 7. Again, I encourage you, read those passages for yourself. Read those passages and understand what the word is calling us to in terms of how we are to treat others, how we should think of others, how we should behave with respect to others. And I'm going to just read a number of statements. And this, these statements that I'm reading to you come directly from those scriptures. I'm not paraphrasing as such. I'm not I'm, you know, embellishing it in any way. I'm simply reading what these scriptures tell us in terms of how we have to deal with people. Those sinners that you have to associate with and receive, here's what you do with them, for them. We don't quarrel over disputable matters. We don't judge our brothers and sisters or treat them with contempt. We don't put any stumbling block or obstacle in their way. We make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. We seek to please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. We have the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. And we accept one another just 
as Christ accepted us. When we were in our sin, when we were dead, when we had no hope, Jesus accepted us. How much more should we go to those around us and be willing to associate with them, to receive them, to deal with them because of what Christ has done? And you know these things that we're talking about here? Essentially what this means is that we would associate with and receive everyone. Everyone. Not just the select few. Not just the ones who will respond to us. Not just the ones that we will be able to point to as our reward or our merits. Look at these people that came to the Lord through my ministry. No. We associate with and receive everyone. Jesus in his ministry reached out to a large crowd of people, but there were very few that actually received him. He received everyone. He associated with everyone, but he was rejected, despised, and, and ultimately crucified by the people that he came to. We don't worry about that. We don't say, oh, these people are out to crucify me. We say, no, we will associate with, we will accept, we will love, we will seek their good, not our good. And as we do that, as we apply these principles, I want to encourage you that this week, you would ask the Lord, Lord, who should I associate with? Who should I reach out to? Who should I receive? Who should I share your love with? Who should I be patient with? Who should I go after diligently and not give up, even if they initially <laughs> reject me? Who should I be compassionate towards? Who, Lord, do I need to associate with and receive in you? Holy Spirit, you come. You show me. You give me the power. You enable me to reach out in these ways. You enable your will to be done in the lives of these people. Lord God, without you, it's not possible. With you, it is possible. Maybe you've reached out to some people for a long time. And maybe your heart is crying out, saying, Oh Lord, how long? Oh Lord, I've shared your word. Oh Lord, I've prayed for them. And they just don't seem to respond. But oh, the Lord cares about them even more. The Lord grieves for them if they are lost. The Lord rejoices when they're found. Therefore, you call out to the Lord. You continue to bring those people to the Lord. And you say, Oh God, Oh God. Let those that are lost now be found. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. We thank you, Jesus, that you are a God that is in the lost and found business, but you don't leave us lost. You find us. You come after us. We thank you, Lord, that we have that privilege, that wonderful privilege of coming to a God who comes after us who seeks us out, who pursues us, who says, I love you and I want you to be with me. I am giving you life for eternity, eternal life. I want to bless you and call you my own, adopt you as my child. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that that is our privilege. 
that that is our opportunity, that that's what you have called us to. And so, Lord, we praise you and worship you. Lord, we pray that you would now work in our hearts, that these messages, that these parables, these stories that you have told, would cause us, Lord, to diligently seek and search for the lost, to celebrate with them when they are found, and Lord, to examine our own hearts, that there be no ulterior motive, no wrong motivations, no self-righteousness, no, Lord, uh, expectation that we should be rewarded. No, Lord, we want to come to you, ask you to transform us into your image, and therefore live up to what we have already attained. What we know, what we have received, what we understand, Let's live up to that. We don't have to be theologians. We don't have to be well-versed in every word in the word of God. But we have experienced your life. We have experienced being found. And that which we have attained, we want to live up to that, Lord. We want to tell the world how they too can be found in you. So, Lord, enable us, empower us, fill us with your Holy Spirit to go and to fulfill this word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.